Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. It's James Rudd here, the Digital Media Editor at Heart. I'm delighted today to be talking to Vijay Kanadian, who's a professor from the University of Newcastle, who works at the Cardiothoracic Centre there as an interventional cardiologist at the Freeman Hospital. And she, along with co-authors from Newcastle and also Professor Roxana Moran from New York, have written a comprehensive review paper all about the evidence base for the management of women with non-ST elevation acute coronary syndrome. We have a great discussion uh, all about this area. I hope you enjoy the show and please do feel free to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Professor Canadian. I wonder if I can start by having you introduce yourself for the heart audience. Who are you? Where do you work? And what do you do there? Thank you so much, James, for having me in this Heart BMJ podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Vijay Konardian. I'm a professor of interventional cardiology based at Newcastle University. And I'm an academic interventional cardiologist based at Freeman Hospital, Newcastle upon Tyne. And Professor, I wanted to invite you on the podcast to talk about an amazing review article that you wrote with some co-authors uh, in Newcastle, but also with a co-author, Roxana Moran from uh, Mount Sinai in New York. And the paper is called The Evidence Base for the Management of Women with Non-ST Elevation Acute Coronary Syndrome, or let's call it Non-ST Elevation ACS. This is a really deep and insightful paper, but I wanted to start off by asking you what prompted you to write it? Why is this issue uh, really important? So women and heart disease is something that I've always been interested in and I've been reviewing the literature and, of course, working in a very busy uh, heart attack centre. I deal with a lot of women with a variety of uh, cardiovascular diseases. But what really triggered, this is one of many papers that we are working on uh, addressing the cardiovascular disease in women, is I am one of the commissioners uh, on the Lancet Commission to reduce the global burden of heart disease in women by 2013. That actually is led by Professor Moran, who's also a co-author in our Heart BNJ paper. So working on that with 17 other commissioners from across the world, it really opened my eyes to the fact how backward we are in the management of all forms of cardiovascular disease in women, in particular those relating to coronary artery disease. And that essentially has triggered. So as I mentioned, it's a, it's a commission. We want to really improve the overall outcome, the burden of heart disease in women by 2030. We're working on a number of initiatives to address that. Um, and this is one of the ways and hopefully uh, triggering awareness to start with. Uh, but also initiating a number of uh, research studies uh, to address the important problem of heart disease in women. And maybe we can start at the beginning by talking about risk factors for cardiovascular disease in women. Um, Of course, many of these are shared between women and men, but there were some uh, glaring things that I noticed in your amazing figure one, uh, where the impact on women of certain cardiovascular risk factors and other risk factors which are unique to women was really brought home to me. Can you maybe talk a little bit about figure one and talk the readers and the listeners through that? Of course. So as you mentioned, uh, there are general risk factors that are common to both men and women, uh, such as hypertension, diabetes, cholesterol, family history, smoking. But women have a number of unique risk factors that are unique to them. 
that um, have long been maybe under-recognized and under-treated that are primary triggers uh, for the development of uh, cardiovascular disease, um, uh, including coronary artery disease. And these include pregnancy-related conditions such as preeclampsia. So when a woman experiences preeclampsia, say in her late uh, 20s or early 30s, she has a several-fold increased risk of developing myocardial infarction or, or even mortality, uh, say, in the next 10 years, because these conditions obviously get occur, occur during pregnancy, and once the baby is born, all the focus is on the baby. And no treatment gets initiated on these women, so the risk that the women has been exposed to is still present. And there are other conditions such as the gestational diabetes. Similarly, you know, they have raised glucose during pregnancy and everything settles down. And these women have higher risk of developing future cardiovascular events. And other unique conditions, uh, gynecological conditions, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, treatment of uh, cancer therapy, those for uh, breast cancer therapy, for example, all of these uh, increases the risk of cardiovascular disease in women. And as we know that the incidence of heart disease essentially rises, uh, there is a steep rise in the occurrence of uh, coronary artery disease or cardiovascular disease in and around the menopausal time. And of course, we know that estrogen is very protective on the endothelium and protects the women from uh, developing uh, cardiovascular events during the, the phase prior to menopause. But pre-menopause or early menopause, when the estrogen hits baseline, then these women uh, have a higher risk of, again, developing uh, cardiovascular diseases and subsequent morbidity and mortality associated with it. So the important thing that we really want to emphasize is that when you look at a woman, when you treat a woman, of course, it's really important to ask for and manage the traditional risk factors, but it's also important to ask for the, uh, the pregnancy-related and gynecological uh, risk factors because they're not just... Uh, relevant to obstetricians and gynecologists, it's important to us as cardiologists or general practitioners looking after these patients. And have some of those, should we say, women unique or female unique risk factors been incorporated into any of the risk scoring systems that are out there, VJ, or, or not? Is that the issue? Yeah, that's a really important question. Unfortunately, not so far. So we're in the raising awareness phase at the moment, and it really is important that moving forward, that these risk factors, and when we take history, when our junior colleagues or uh, whoever takes the history from a patient that presents with heart disease, these questions must be asked um, uh, with the women presenting with the problem. So no is the answer and we should moving forwards. Maybe for yeah the next iteration of some of the guidelines. And, and speaking of guidelines, maybe you can give us a sort of high level overview of the current uh, guideline-directed management of, of women with non-ST elevation ACS. Are there any sort of major differences between, let's say, the UK uh, NICE-mandated guidelines, the European guidelines, and the US guidelines that we should be aware of? So most of the guidelines look at um, very low-risk patients, high-risk and very high-risk patients. Very high risk are these patients that uh, really are very unstable, gross ECG changes and ongoing chest pain. And these patients, without a doubt, whether they are a male or a female, uh, should be taken directly to the cath lab. And if they are high risk, then the recommendation is that these patients should have their angiography 
um, recommended if possible. Not not everywhere is possible, particularly in the UK. It's not possible for us to perform angiography within 24 hours of an, of an MSDACS presentation. The only difference is, of course, in the UK, we follow the NICE guidelines. NICE suggests early invasive uh, angiography for intermediate risk patients should be performed within 72 hours. But globally, in the whole of the UK, we, we really have not been able to achieve those numbers uh, or, or those timelines because of capacity issues and all of the challenges that we have at the moment. And another really important area that you highlight in your paper is that some treatments, whether they be invasive treatments or medical therapy, are less likely to be given to women than to men for reasons, again, that are sort of unclear to me just reading the paper. It doesn't seem like it's uh, <laughs> like it's a good idea at all. Maybe we can explore that a little bit more. Can you put a bit more uh, meat on those bones? What, what are the treatments that are typically uh, underutilized in, in female patients with non-ST elevation ACS? Of course. So in the UK, we have some incredible resources. One of them is the MyNAP database, Myocardial Infarction National Audit Project. So some of our colleagues working on those data looked into this specifically, and actually the paper was actually published in a previous uh, issue of Heart, where the study compared men and women presenting with acute coronary syndrome to hospitals. And pretty much every guideline recommended care including medications such as aspirin, statins, ACE inhibitors, coronary angiography, were underperformed uh, or underprescribed to women when compared to men. So a similar study also has been published in the United States and exactly the same finding. All of these secondary preventative guideline recommended therapies have been underprescribed in women when compared to men. So one might say, so what? And these same studies I've reflected have shown that as a result of underprescription of the uh, guideline recommended therapy, women have higher mortality rates uh, at 30 days and beyond when compared to men. And these are not women who are lower risk and therefore wouldn't be expected to have early angiography. These are, these are women who are exactly the same uh, level of risk as as men, I'm assuming, and for whatever reason, didn't get referred for that early angiography or the high intensity statin or clopidogrel yeah. or ticagrelor. Okay. This is uh, all across the board. All patients that got admitted with the with the diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome. Okay. And one of the reasons, I guess, for this, uh, and you speculated this in the paper, is that uh, fewer women are enrolled in clinical trials. So I guess one could argue we have less data for women. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and why historical enrollment and representation in trials has been uh, not as good as it should be? Yes. So as we have shown in table three of our paper, you can see that these are the studies that really provided the basis uh, for how we manage non-ST elevation of coronary syndrome, i.e. the provision of early invasive angiography for these patients. And you can see the representation is very varied in each of the studies. In one of the studies, three percentage of patients were women. And overall, if you combine them all, approximately 25% of representation in all randomized clinical trials are women. And this is not just in these studies, in these specific studies that we're talking about. If you look at every form of even the latest studies that we have, women are not fully represented. And there are a number of reasons, uh, maybe younger women when they're presenting uh, the pregnancy-related concerns. 
So if you're a childbearing age, some of the studies actively exclude these patients from, from participating in studies. And some of the work that I have done also highlighted that women, particularly uh, those that are caring and my own personal experience with dealing with patients is that they have too much on. They want to put their family first and they don't have anybody else to look after their children in order to commit themselves uh, to participating in a clinical research study. So these figures haven't really changed uh, very much, uh, pretty much, you know, we've got, got a paper uh, highlighting from 1994, so 20, 30 years, this has been the same issue. But now is really uh, the time to act because we've been talking about it for a very long time. The reason being, uh, when we look at the global statistics, either it's WHO or whether it's the data that we receive from the uh, Global Burden of Disease from Seattle, Washington, it shows that uh, ischemic heart disease, not breast cancer, not cervical cancer, but it's coronary artery disease, ischemic heart disease is the number one killer. And there might also be a number of reasons. Women, uh, again, we're going to discuss further on the, on the outcomes in these patients. So even people coming in with a problem, a lot of people may not come into hospital when they're experiencing an MI, or whether it's NSTEMI or STEMI, for example, because they think it could be indigestion or something else. So there are multiple reasons, but we're working hard to address that. Now, several funders, as well as big organizations are now, even the journals are now mandating to ensure adequate representation of uh, clinical trials. So really, as researchers, clinical tri trialists, we're now making it an absolute priority to ensure that we're able to recruit, if not equal, maybe 40%, 45% representation of women in a clinical trial uh, that we run. And hopefully that will eliminate all of these biases uh, and the challenges and find the treatment that are effective for both men and women. Um, that's a really nice summary. Thank you very much. Can we talk a little bit about MINOCA or myocardial infarction with non-obstructed coronary arteries and, and why it's relevant in your review paper, why you, why you have a whole section devoted to it? Yeah. So as an interventional cardiologist, uh, you know, we often, when somebody comes in with a STEMI, for example, what we are expecting is a blocked artery, atherosclerotic, uh, plaque rupture and, you know, complete occlusion. That's what we're looking for. But sometimes in up to 10 percentage of cases, there is a range. It depends upon uh, the studies that we have. But from the work that I have done in the north of England, approximately 10 percentage of patients that come to us with the diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome and we take them to the cath lab have non-obstructed uh, coronary arteries. So when we see that, there's a big relief. Okay, fine. It's not as bad as uh, an atherosclerotic blocked artery. But over the last few years, and also some of the work that I have done, shows that um, when people have non-obstructive coronary disease and present with classical symptoms, troponin rise and ECG changes, it's not a benign condition. Um, and one of the studies that I have done shows that patients with myocardial obstruction, with um, myocardial infarction with obstructive coronary arteries versus MINOCA have the same uh, event rates, mortality rates in hospital, um, one year and at five years. So traditionally what people tend to think, okay, fine, I've done the angiogram, the artery is absolutely fine. 
finish the case and tell the patient nothing wrong with you. But we are learning more and more that Minoka is not a benign condition. There are a number of conditions that might attribute to Minoka, such conditions such as coronary artery spasm, spontaneous coronary artery dissection, even a plaque less than 50% of uh, stenosis, for example, that mandates treatment. Because if left untreated, if they are not treated with antiplatelet therapy or um, anti-plaque treatment, then these can progress and the patients can represent again with further full-blown heart attack. And that is the reason uh, we really want to raise the awareness that Minoka is also an important condition and it occurs more often in women. So if you look at the obstructed presentation, maybe there is a split of 70% of men and 30% of women have obstructed artery when you're looking at all of the angiograms of these patients presenting. But women, there's a 50-50 split. Or in some studies, it shows that women have more Minoka than uh, myocardial infarction with obstructed coronary artery. So again, it's to emphasize, uh, you know, we've done, we've got so much research and sometimes I say this, management of coronary artery disease is not really rocket science. We have some fantastic pharmacotherapy that really uh, saves lives essentially. We don't want to be denying our patients of these life-saving drugs and also subsequently improving their mortality risk, reducing their further heart attack risks and also improving their quality of life, because if they left untreated, they come back again and again. So you identify it, think about it, get to a final diagnosis, what exactly is the condition, prescribe them with the appropriate medical therapy, then job done, the patient is going to be fine. And can we just finish off, Vijay, by talking about figure four of your paper, which is a really good summary. I think of it touches on all of the aspects that we've mentioned, but perhaps you can briefly talk us through it as a way of summarizing uh, the full review paper. Sure. So that is the central illustration uh, for our manuscript. So again, uh, it emphasizes everything that we have just been discussing today. Women are less likely to receive appropriate intervention, underrepresented in clinical trials. Differences in presentation, that's one thing uh, that maybe that I didn't uh, speak uh, um, in detail, is that women's symptoms, they have a classical chest pain. 80% of women have classical chest pain presentation. So when they present with chest pain, it's easy. Okay, fine, I'm going to do troponin ECG. But women also present with other uh, symptoms, such as neck pain or back pain or simply nausea, loss of sleep. So that must be uh, taken into consideration when dealing with these patients. And of course, we talked about the risk factors that are unique to women uh, compared to men. And all of the risk scores that we have, the GRACE risk score we talked about, the TIMI risk scores that we have, all of them are based on uh, male-oriented threshold. And moving forward, as you quite rightly mentioned, we need to have a risk score incorporating the risk factors that are unique to women. Uh, and as we've um, uh, spoke about, women are currently underdiagnosed. I have so many patients that come in five or four days after after a heart attack because they are not thinking that they are having heart attack and putting up with it, putting up with it. And we must um, avoid that moving forward. And women are undertreated and underrepresented in clinical trials uh, compared to men. So as a result of that, women are more likely to experience negative outcomes, i.e. repeat heart attacks, higher mortality burden than men. And this really emphasizes the importance of robust studies, clinical trials, 
specifically targeting women, uh, particularly in the context of uh, acute coronary syndrome, because that is the largest burden uh, of uh, heart disease women experience. And it was interesting, I spoke recently to Professor Caroline Lamb, and she was basically saying the same thing for heart failure trials, yeah. <laughs> almost verbatim. Uh, and again, in that uh, area of cardiology, it's a real struggle to enroll women, I think, probably for many of the same reasons that you've discussed in acute coronary syndrome. Just before we finish, Vijay, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any other resources you could point people towards, papers that you've written that you think people might enjoy reading? And I can put a link in the show notes. Sure, I think the Lancet Commission uh, is the main one, and that covers all. All uh, I contributed to the acute coronary syndrome. You mentioned Carolyn Lamb, and she contributed to heart failure. So women have more heart failure with preserved ejectional fraction. But I think the most important thing is that this is an important issue. Uh, and one of the other things that I hadn't spoken about is the COVID pandemic, the, the socioeconomic disparity. Of course, with socioeconomic disparity, everybody gets affected and women are more affected than men. And again, there are studies showing that. So, you know, now we're in a stage where we simply cannot uh, be saying the same thing uh, as women are undertreated, underdiagnosed. Now is the time for us to actively engage uh, as clinicians and patients themselves. You know, it might be them going to their doctors and asking, could this be my heart? And the key thing is that this is a treatable condition. It's not something that we cannot handle. So we really need to uh, move forward and make changes. And also emphasizing the fact that we need more studies, uh, more clinical trials, and encourage women uh, to participate in the studies as well as the clinicians to take active measures to make sure uh, women are enrolled in clinical studies. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. I will make the uh, paper free for a few weeks if it's not already open access. Uh, so people who are listening can go ahead and download it and enjoy reading it and looking at the figures. Uh, but yeah, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.